A few months ago, on a windy, apocalyptic, terrible day, I mustered up the courage to leave my house. Halfway through my walk to the post office, my phone went off. I didn't recognize the number, but I answered it anyway, and what I heard on the other end was like an ice-cold punch to the gut. As Brown taught it, we have identified incorrect sort of tax filings, and we regret to inform you that your account has been marked delinquent on account of tax avoidance, as our letters sent to your registered address have also returned unsigned and undelivered resulting into a petition note to be filed against your name, including a warrant for your arrest. In full flight mode, I hung up on them. But I was half convinced. I felt half panicked that despite hanging up, I would still somehow be scammed and then half guilty for hanging up on a call from the authorities. I figured, though, if it really was the ATO and I was getting arrested, it'd happen when it happened. But not today. I wasn't about to wait around and hear about it from a scary robo-voice. The anxious, disturbed feeling didn't go away, though. I called my partner to ask if the ATO would ever do such a thing. He told me that it was probably a scam. (laughs) Some help there. Hi, I'm Arielle Richards, co-producer of The Kicker, and I'm a scam victim. When I was a teen, I fell for one of those virus pop-up scams. I was home alone and insecure about my tech knowledge. A pop-up I'd never seen before jammed my computer, and vulnerable baby me went through the entire process, even giving a so-called tech support expert remote access to my computer. They installed Adblocker on my laptop for the bargain price of $250, or my entire first job savings. I laugh now, but I felt so dirty, embarrassed, and ashamed at the time. The reality is that I was one of the lucky ones. Every year, Australians lose billions of dollars to scams. For many, the topic is too traumatic to talk about for years. But what is it about scams that con reasonable people into emptying their bank accounts against their better judgment? This week, Rosa Ritchie and Danielle Collis investigate that exact question and try to figure out why is it that, when it comes to being conned, any of us can be victims. It is big business, it is organised crime, it is international. criminals, grifters, hustlers, scam artists. They're intelligent, they're resourceful, they've got global networks. You hear about people getting scammed a lot, but never thought it was going to happen to you. There is a case of tax fraud under your name and there is an arrest warrant issue under your name. Welcome to The Kicker. I'm Danielle Collis. And I'm Rosa Ritchie. A good friend of mine was closing up the cafe that she manages. She got a phone call from the ATO and they were saying that she had an overdue tax debt, that they'd been trying to get in contact with her for weeks or months, um, that she'd been ignoring the documents and that meant there was a warrant out for her arrest. You know, people our age are renting, they're often moving houses, it is easy to forget to update all your contact details places. There were all these little pieces of um, information that helped persuade her that it was her fault. Fast forward 
an hour and a half or two hours, she's been deeply manipulated over the phone by several different people. They took turns speaking to her. They cloaked a number and made it seem as though the police were calling her. Finally, she's crouching in this alleyway off Swanston Street, holding a handful of gift cards, scratching the back to reveal the verification code. And she really didn't feel like herself, like she felt disoriented and hyper aware that something wasn't right. But at the same time, it had gone so far that she couldn't pull herself out of it. She emptied her savings account and and that was that. You know, the police took her statement, but they couldn't do anything for her. Well, see, this was the same thing that happened to Dave, the guy I spoke to. I went into my bank account to pay rent, which was about a day and a half later after this, after I logged in and everything. Uh, and then, yeah, found that yeah, the bank account had been pretty much wiped. He called the bank straight away and they literally said there was nothing that they could do. So they stole $13,000. He got about 8000 back from the bank, but he still has to repay the 5000 on his credit card. Someone got away with that theft. I did some research and found out Australians have reported a total of more than $2.5 billion lost to scams in the past decade. There's a character in this story that we couldn't interview, and that's the perpetrator of these crimes. But I did find the next best thing, and his name is Nicholas Johnson. You're like a Robin Hood of con men. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, I'm fascinated, exactly the same as you, I'm fascinated why people act against their own best interests and give up their money, but also why do why uh, do certain people have the ability to do that and other people don't? Uh, and they, I find that fascinating. Are there some kind of universal key ingredients for a successful Scam. No, not really. No, there, there are things that occur that you see a lot, but that being said, there isn't, you know, a golden, there isn't some kind of, yeah, ingredients to a scam because every person is different. And the things that will make me hand over money would be very different from the things that would make you hand over money. He got sucked in by cons from a very young age. He was at the Canberra show of all places. And um, he, you know, you pay like five, ten bucks to play a game and then you realise that it's basically rigged. And that was the seed of curiosity that started a whole career. So what did he have to say about who these scammers are? I asked him who he sees in his mind's eye when he talks about con artists. And in his opinion, there are two types. There are those who are just, it's a job. It's what they do and it's what they're good at. And they've come up with a justification for why it's okay for them to do it. I've got them in your inbox, emails. They usually arrive with a dubious subject line promising, quote, a business opportunity or a share in the fortune of an eye-wateringly wealthy deceased African dignitary or distant relative. A lot of them see themselves as essentially righting the wrongs of Western colonialism. People from uh, Europe um, and America came to our country stripped of its national resources, left us in poverty, and now we're going and we're taking that money back. And so they just come up with a justification like that and then they just work at the job. This is the most common type of con artist, but I really want to stress that this is a psychological profile, not a racial profile. It's about an individual finding ways to justify their actions. And it's common amongst con artists of all backgrounds. And what's the other type? 
They're what he calls imposters. And they tend to be people who don't set out to be criminals, but they want to be a business person or an entrepreneur. Um, they want to be a lawyer, a salesperson, whatever it is. And rather than learning the steps to becoming that thing, they just say that they are that thing and then just cheat their way into the position. They fake it till they make it. But here's the most interesting thing I took away from the conversation. We actually celebrate that character in pop culture. We have a very perverse way of looking at con artists in that we have this idea that, that's really reinforced by con artists in fiction that the con artist is like a judge, jury and executioner of other people's moral failings. So if you are stupid, if you are greedy, uh, if you are, you know, even like romantic, you know, foolishly romantic, the con artist isn't just scamming you. Welcome to Miami Mutual Bank. How may I help you? I'd like to cash this check here and then and I'd like to take you out for a steak dinner. <laughs> They're punishing you for your weaknesses and you kind of get what you deserve. But so much of it just comes down to timing and luck. Exactly. I spoke to a woman called Liz who almost fell for the same ATO scam that trapped my friend. Well, I got a phone call in the afternoon. I was working. I answered it. Um, it was a recorded message and it was quite hard to understand. So much of what she described to me was the exact same stuff I'd heard before. And it comes back to why we're all vulnerable to scams. The theory is that our senses are just taking in a huge amount of stimuli and then we do not have the brain power to make sense of it all. What I thought I heard, what I thought the message was, was that my identity had been stolen and someone had um, conducted fraudulent behaviour under my identity and there was now a warrant out my arrest. So it will filter out information that it thinks is unimportant. Uh, it will often, uh, will often, say, create memories that are incorrect. Um, but that suit the emotional feeling that we're having. I think because I have recently, like I do know someone who had their identity stolen recently and it was a big ordeal, that was the message that I took away from it, but that actually wasn't what the message was. Like if I had been listening from the beginning. When she explains it that way, it's so easy to see how these things make people doubt themselves. But somehow she got out of it. The way she describes it, after about an hour of a very confusing argument, they reached a kind of stalemate. I was getting angrier and angrier and I was saying, like, this is total f***ing bullshit. And so it was like I kind of knew that it was bullshit, but I wasn't, like, I wasn't fully kind of cognizant of it. The only significant difference between Liz's story and the first one I heard was that when the scammers said the ATO tried to deliver documents to Liz's address, it didn't make any sense because she's working from home at the moment. And your friend who fell for the scam was at work when she got the call. So the ATO story was believable. What kind of support did the police offer her? Not a lot. They helped her report it, but there was no investigation. Well, see, that's really interesting because after I spoke with Dave, I could hear in his voice how distressing the last 18 months had been for him. And I was curious to know the psychological impact scams can have on victims. So I spoke to Cassandra Cross, a senior research fellow in criminology from QUT, and she's been studying scams for years. And from her research with victims, there is a lot of shame and stigma around being scammed. So many victims never share their story. I think people like to dismiss how deeply troubling 
these issues are because it's easier to think that it had never happened to you and that the people who fall for it are lacking in some way. After hearing this, I thought I would do some further investigating and find out what type of support there was available for victims of scams. So I started researching and, you know, I found your typical government-run sites like Scamwatch, Cyberscams and the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. And there wasn't really much help. Finally, I came across Jan Marshall, who started an Australian charity called Life After Scams after being a victim of a romance scam herself. You know, Jan was living a normal life, had a full-time job in IT, and she decided she wanted to give online dating a go. So she met someone, was charmed by him, and then a few months later, she was scammed over $260,000. That's so much money. I I have personally experienced how long it takes to recover from a scam and to do it totally on my own. And I know that... um, it's a very, very difficult time and the people who contact me are in absolute distress. Jan went on to explain how important it is to seek support. Look, if people don't deal with their shame and their guilt about it, even though they have been abused, um, they will never go back to a sense of normal. If you think about shame, it will shut people down and stop them sharing themselves with others. So you've got all of these grief and loss feelings going on, but nobody uh, recognises that that's a legitimate thing to be going through. And instead they say, how could you be so stupid? So this takes me back to what happened to Dave. It was almost instantaneously they took the money out, but obviously I didn't realise. So, you know, to take 13 grand out of an account, you know, within half an hour uh, in multiple transactions, um, you know, and there was no alert to me to say it. And then when I was called up, yeah, exactly the right thing. We should never do that. You should never do this. You should never do that. It's almost like, oh, we, you did it now. You have to bear the consequences of it. Even the bank's fraud team couldn't help. And it seems the victim blaming went on and on. I think the more of the stress is coming from the debt collector. Now they're saying, you know, that you, you took the money and you have to prove that you didn't take the money. The police guy pretty much said, we can't do anything. It's not under us. It's almost just like you've been handballed from one person to the next person to the next person to deal with it. That's not the first time in this story the police have been unable to help out. I know, right? He had to report the crime to ACORN, but I was shocked with what he said next. So there's a thing called ACORN, which is um, an internet site run by the government, which you lodge your complaint with what's happened um, and you have to get a report from them. Once you get that report, you have to go to a police station and get an affidavit signed. Um, to say that you weren't the one that pulled the money out of your own account um, or spent it on anything. So you're trying to prove that, you know, a a legally buying document that you didn't do this. Um, But even doing that and sending, I've sent that through and it's all documented, it still seems to be be almost ignored, really. So he had to prove he wasn't the criminal? Yep, he had to prove that he didn't take his own money. I went back to Jan Marshall from Life After Scams And she explained in Australia, victims of scams aren't considered victims of crimes. And this makes it harder for them to seek support. If you have a look at the uh, Scamwatch website, basically it says contact Lifeline. You know, so there is no organisation providing any sort of uh, resources or support for these people. There is no way to find out where your money has gone. There is no way to get the money back. 
there is no way to help uh, get support to deal with the emotional grief and devastation. The Scamwatch website says that due to the fly-by-night nature of many scammers, it is extremely difficult for law enforcement to track them down. We know not all scams qualify as crimes, but fraud is definitely a criminal offence. So I suppose we have to ask, is the problem that law enforcement are just overwhelmed by the number of scams committed? Do we not have the technology and skill set to track down the scammers? Or are scam victims just not a priority? And how do you get closure if the law doesn't recognise that you are a victim? There are all sorts of processes that victims of crime can go through to seek compensation and to work through the emotional toll crime takes on a person. But there's rarely such justice for victims of scams. So where does that leave you? There's no neat conclusion to be drawn here. Your intuition might not always be right, but it always has your best interests at heart. If your instincts are telling you there's something not quite right, or if someone else is telling you that it's not quite right, get out of there. Thanks to our excellent reporters, Rosa Ritchie and Danielle Collis for that fascinating story. The Kicker is produced by Marco Horton Jeffrey and myself, Arielle Richards. Special thanks to our magnanimous executive producer, Janet Rogers. Join us next week as reporters Maeve Bannister and Maddie Spencer find out what an Olympian athlete does when the Olympics are postponed. Until then, like and subscribe, folks, and send a rating or review our way if you like what you hear. We are on Instagram at thekicker.pod and Twitter at kickerpod. Check us out for some snazzy extra content. Thanks so much for listening, dear listener, and we'll see you next week. Sponsored by The Student Doll. Music by Jack Jevons. This podcast was recorded, mixed and produced on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded.